God's word. We're going to jump right into it. Uh, that's what Ron and Rodney Paul were saying. It's like, you'll know when it's rushed when you know you got somebody right behind you. So, so yeah, you'll know that I'll always be confined. We'll be confined. Whoever's up here, we'll be confined to know that there's somebody coming in at 1030. So we got to be, be moving. So, but, uh, but I'm excited about this morning. I'm excited about our message. We're going to finish up our series, Who's Your One, our kind of evangelistic series about reaching out to the to the people around us and to the unsaved in our in our circles and in our reach. And uh, and we're going to be really just seeing what God's got for us. And, and John 1 is where we'll be at. Um, but I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into his word this morning. Father God, I thank you. God, I just ask you to speak to us in a mighty way. God, allow us to see the revelation that you have for us in your word. God, and uh, Lord, I pray that we would be challenged this morning. God, uh, I, I pray that as we read the Bible, Lord, it wouldn't cause us to be critical or judgmental of anyone else, but it would cause us to look at ourselves, that it would cause us to be challenged, cause us to be just pushed and, and, and convicted and encouraged in all the ways that you'd have us to be as believers here this morning. Father God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Church, you can uh, turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, and that's where we're going to be at this morning. We spent some time there uh, a couple messages back. We were in John 1, a little bit further down, but we're going to kind of step back a little bit from where we were, uh, a couple, few verses, and kind of see another situation. So we're in this series called Who's Your One? And so this series has all, all been about, you know, we, when we go out, you know, God calls us to this great commission. He calls us to participate in the expansion of his kingdom, inviting other peoples, not just for the sake of numbers, and not just for the sake of, of just being able to say that we've done this or that, but to bring people into the fold of God's loving family, inviting them to the table, to the banquet table that he's set up for us. He says he's prepared a place for us. He's got this banquet just waiting for his chosen people, the people who would put their faith in him, believe on him, and be his, his chosen family. And so that's what this whole series has been about. It's not been about numbers. It's not been about church growth. It's been about kingdom growth and seeing people come to know the saving faith of Jesus Christ. Christ. And so uh, this morning, uh, the, the, the title of the message, if, if, we had, if you had a subtitle besides who's your one, it would be more than meets the eye. More than meets the eye. Because what we're going to see this morning in John 1 is we're going to see a guy, man, who just, who, who saw so much more than what was there. And because of that was able to reach into very insignificant, uh, unknown places and be able to pull people out and be able to present Christ to them, bring them to Christ. And so uh, I'm going to read really quick in John 1, if you could turn there into John 1. We're going to start in chapter 40, I mean, verse 40, chapter 1, verse 40, and read down to verse 42. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. I'll be reading from the ESV or it'll be on the screen for you. Verse 40 says, one of the two who had heard John, uh, heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Verse 42, it says, He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So this morning... In this whole series, the idea has been about focusing on that one. You know, because behind every one who does something is another one who did something for that person, right? I mean, Billy Graham, if that's your cup of tea, Billy Graham was not always Billy Graham. He wasn't born preaching and teaching the way he does. You know, some of the great preachers and pastors of our day were not born that way. They were interacted with. They were, they were introduced to Jesus by one person. 
by somebody who invested in their life, somebody who saw them and, and, and reached out to them and interjected this thing from their life that they saw as valuable, that they saw as important, and they saw fit to share that with them. And so what we see this morning is we see a man named Andrew. We see a man named Andrew, okay? And this uh, Andrew, the, the name Andrew actually translates as bold or manly, okay? And so Andrew was a manly man. He was a guy's guy. It says that he was a fisherman. So he's just kind of a basic guy, just a general guy. But he, 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 had, he was manly. He was bold. But he still had a need. He still had something that he needed in his life. And, you know, and, and he saw that because we see before this in the earlier verses of this chapter that he's hanging out with John the Baptist. You know, remember, John the Baptist was the one that was to come and prepare the way for Jesus. And so then when John the Baptist gets all these people and he's telling them about this coming Messiah, he's pointing to Jesus coming. And then Jesus comes into the picture. And what does John the Baptist do? He points Andrew to Jesus. He points Andrew to Jesus. He says, it's not about me. It's not about my message. It's not about my charisma. It's not about what I do, but it's about this man that I'm talking about. It's about this Jesus character that I want you to know about this man who is coming for you, who will baptize you, who will do things for you in a way that I never could. He says, I, you know, John tells him, he said, I could do physical things for you, but there's a spiritual baptism. There's something different that Jesus is coming to do for you that will truly change your life. And so Andrew is one of the first people to follow Jesus. And he's pointed that way because of, because of John the Baptist. He's one of the first disciples that drastically changed his life. And the thing that we have to understand about Andrew, there's not many times in the Bible where we'll, that, that Andrew is mentioned. We'll talk about a couple of them here this morning. But there's not many times where we talk about Andrew. You know, uh, Andrew never, you, we never see Andrew preaching these massive sermons like we do some of the others. You know, we don't see, uh, we, Andrew didn't necessarily contribute to any writings of the Bible. But the thing that we'll see about Andrew this morning is that Andrew preached some of the greatest sermons of his life just by how he lived and how he interacted with people for the kingdom of Christ. How he brought people into that. How he, he desperately wanted to invite others to that table. And so uh, three things this morning that, that if we could take away, what about Andrew helped him lead people to Jesus? I believe these three things are going to be those things that if we can kind of fall into this mold, take this encouragement, take this instruction, then we can be the same thing. Okay, and then the first thing this morning, the first way that helps us lead people to Jesus and how Andrew was is that he saw the value in individual people. He saw the value of individual people, despite how insignificant or how unknown. He saw value in them. And so we see this in verse 40. He says that he was, his brother was Simon Peter, and that he first, the first thing he did when he met Jesus was he found his own brother. You know, Andrew, and, and we'll see a couple other instances, Andrew wasn't known for bringing in crowds, but Andrew was known for bringing in individuals. Andrew was known for investing in individuals, despite who they were and despite where they're from, as we'll see as we move forward. But Andrew was all about individuals, despite their flaws, despite where they've been. Because the thing, I mean, we know all about Peter, right? Peter, Peter had some fault, fault, some faults, flaws, faults, either one. He had both. Peter had some areas where he failed. He felt, would fall short. And we see that as we move through the narrative of Scripture where Peter would fail. And surely uh, Andrew, being his brother, knew where Peter lacked. You know, we see later on where Peter chops a dude's ear off. So obviously Peter had some angry issues, right? Surely his brother knew that and probably caught a beating from him a few times. 
And so Andrew saw the value of, of, of individual people as important enough and significant enough to be brought to the table of Christ, seeing that they had a need as he did. And you know, and I love this, because what better place to start than under your own roof, right? For evangelizing, bringing people to the Lord Jesus. I mean, if, we're, if you're a parent here this morning, I mean, isn't that the best place to start? Maybe you're just a couple. Maybe it's your husband or wife or those people that are just in your fold. You know, what better place as far as being a parent, what better place than to start under your own roof for bringing those people to Jesus, evangelizing those people? You know, and it says there, he says that, that the first place he went was to his brother and he spoke about Jesus to him, but he didn't only speak about Jesus. He did something. He brought him to Jesus. You know, and so for us, you know, there's not always, there's obviously not going to be this physical manifestation of Jesus among us as there was here. He's already done that work because the physical manifestation of Jesus dwells within us. And so you know where that responsibility comes from for us as Christians, not only speaking of like Andrew did, hey, we found the Messiah, we found the Christ, but then he says that he brought him to Jesus. You know how we bring people to Jesus in our modern day is by living like Jesus, Loving people, encouraging people, being, being that help, being loving our neighbor as ourselves, not being selfish, but being selfless, laying ourselves down, being a servant before people. Magnifying and reflecting Christ in any way possible. That's how we bring people to Jesus. Does that mean we're perfect? Absolutely not. Because part of that is bringing people to Jesus also. When we let people in or our imperfections, it shows us that even though I'm not perfect, Christ still saved me. Christ still died for me. He still allowed me a place at his table. And so it's in being honest about our imperfections that makes us even more reflective of who Christ is. And so being that Andrew to those people in your life does not mean being perfect, but it is reflecting Jesus. And so... Andrew saw value in individual people. In John 6, we see a situation where uh, thousands of people, it says 5,000 men, and this number doesn't count women and children that would have also been there. So 5,000 men are at this place, and they're like, hey, we got to feed these people. And, and what's happening in this situation is, you know, we know that, that they didn't ha- feel like they had enough. And so what, is, what does Andrew do? Andrew brings a child before Jesus. You know, children wouldn't have been held with very high value or importance in this day. You know, they didn't have a lot of rights. Uh, they were just dependents. They were just there. You know, but, but Andrew saw value in this young man. This young man can do something. This young man deserves to interact with Jesus and encounter the goodness of God. So he brought him. He brought him. In John chapter 12, we see this situation where these Greeks, okay, these Gentiles, these, uh, these pagan people are coming searching for Jesus. They want to see Jesus. They want to interact with this Jesus. Where is, he, he, where is he at? And so they come to Philip first. Remember Philip we talked about a couple weeks ago. They come to Philip first. And then Philip goes to Andrew. But then we see Andrew brings him to Jesus. So even though Andrew wasn't standing up preaching these massive sermons like we'll see others do throughout the uh, the narrative of the Bible, there was something about Andrew that that people knew that he, he wanted to get people to Jesus. And so for Andrew, for these, these Greeks, I mean, they were, they were pagans. They were Gentiles. They were not of the chosen people. They were of a different race, different religion. But Andrew saw value in those people. They had a different lifestyle, different thought process. But what did Andrew do? Andrew said, come on. It ain't, I ain't got the answers. I don't know why Philip brought you to me, but I'll bring you to somebody else. 
I'll bring you to somebody who, 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 who will add value to your life, who sees you as valuable, who sees you for who you are. You know, Andrew, you know, several people have said, you know, Andrew was the inviter. He was the bringer. He was invested in getting people to Jesus because he saw value in those people and, and the fact that they needed Jesus just as much as he did. You know, for me in my life, you know, I came to faith in Christ in a room full of people. But, you know, the real, the real, I guess, work of stirring my heart and the real work of drawing me to Christ didn't happen because a pastor was standing in the pulpit preaching. It happened specifically because of my wife. Because my wife was praying for me. My wife was constantly inviting me to church. My wife, and, and even when she had every right to give up on me, she didn't. And it was through that stirring, it was through that investment that, that my heart was stirred for Christ. And I just so happened to respond in the time when a pastor was preaching. But the work of the Holy Spirit begins long before somebody's standing at a pulpit. It begins with us. It begins with you. It begins with individuals being willing to lean into individuals' lives, seeing them for, as, as valuable, seeing them as worth your time, seeing them as worth your words and your speech, and investing in them, praying for them. You know, whether it's for our, our spouses or for our kids or for those people in our circles or for those people outside of our circles that we're just burdened for, that we'd be sharing Christ with them and investing in them. You know, God... God didn't choose angels and loudspeakers from heaven. He chose us to share the gospel. He chose individuals to share the gospel with individuals. You know, look through the entire New Testament. There is not one time where an angel comes down and shares the gospel about Jesus to anybody. It never happens. Through the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, you never see an angel. Now, angels uh, and Jesus did things after his ascension. But not one time did Jesus himself, after he ascended, or any, any other heavenly being ever share the gospel with anybody. It was always individuals. It was always people investing in people. People seeing people as valuable. You know, and so for, for, for Andrew, even though Andrew would never step foot, he would never pastor a church that we know of, he would never preach these massive sermons like some of the others did, who do we know? Who do we know from the book of Acts that preached one of the greatest moments in church history? Peter, right? Andrew went and got his brother, brought his brother to Jesus, and then he would be the person. He would be the person to preach on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would come down and dwell amongst his people. I mean, what a beautiful moment. But that moment happened because Andrew invested in somebody in his life. And so Peter could always say, yeah, Jesus saved me. Jesus, God changed my life. But it's because of Andrew that I stand here today also. Because he saw fit to take time to, to, to speak into my life. I mean, just think, who, who in your life, your kids, your spouse, somebody outside in your circle, like, I mean, they could be the next massive preacher. It may never be you or the next evangelist or the next missionary or just the next great Christian husband or wife that raises their family to Jesus. I mean, that's enough in itself. Andrew was just willing. Jesus did the rest. And what's awesome is before Peter did a single thing, Christ established him as the rock. Before Peter did a single thing, he established him as the rock. And we know that, G that Peter was not always the solid rock that Jesus spoke of him to be. 
I mean, besides, you know, bits of anger, besides doubting and fleeing Jesus during his crucifixion, uh, besides being a hypocrite in certain episodes, whenever Paul had to call him out for being a hypocrite, you know, there, Peter was not always the solid rock. But Andrew saw value in Peter and what Peter could be. Jesus saw value in Peter and who Peter could be. He saw what Peter could be and that Peter was not always presented as the rock, but his work in the church, in the book of Acts, Jesus incited that change in his life. He, he implemented that change. He did that change, church, and for all of us, man, God's intention for us, I believe, just like for Peter, is to be the rock wherever we are, to be the rock in our family, to be the rock, to build. Remember, the church is not this building. The church is an organism, not an organization. The church is who we are. And so if he's building the church, he's building it from within us. He's building it from around us. We are the pieces. We are the stones laid in place to build up God's church and his kingdom. And so he's calling us and people around us that every one of us can step into that role as rock in our lives, in our situation, seeing individuals as valuable. And the second thing this morning, not only that he saw value in individuals, but he saw value in insignificant gifts. He saw value in insignificant gifts. John chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. We referenced it earlier, but it says that, and he said, to, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. In verse 8, it says, One of the disciples, Andrew, son, uh, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? You know, Andrew saw value in insignificant gifts. He saw value in insignificant gifts in that, you know, the disciples have said that they had 200 denarii worth of bread. This would have been 200 days wages worth of bread, equivalent of about $14,000 in how we see it. And so they had tons of bread, tons of it. And they, they knew they, it wasn't going to be enough. But Peter, first off, seeing this boy that he would bring in to meet Jesus, seeing this boy is valuable enough to interact and to see, see who Jesus is and his goodness, but also seeing his what would seem insignificant gift. And even Andrew, not being 100%, he would come in and say, I mean, I don't know what this would be for so many. You know, what, what are they for so many? He still saw fit to bring it before Jesus. And what do we know Jesus did with it? Jesus took this insignificant gift and did something miraculous with it, right? He did something amazing with it. Because the thing that Andrew knew and the thing that we have to understand is that, is that little is much when God is involved. Insignificant gifts are used to do significant things. What is significant about Jesus feeding 5,000 people plus women and children with one kid's lunch is that Andrew saw that no gift is insignificant in the hands of Jesus. Nothing that we do, or there, there's, you know, because for so many of us, you know, we hold back from what we do for the kingdom of God. We hold back from what we step into as far as our roles in our families, as far as trying to be spiritual-minded, uh, spiritual leaders, spiritual encouragements, Christians in our homes, is that we don't feel like we're good enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have enough abilities. I don't have enough talents. I don't have enough money. I, we feel like we don't have enough, that our gifts are insignificant. 
that Andrew saw that in those insignificant gifts in Jesus' hands, they could be something. Did he doubt? Did he have some questions? Absolutely. Will you constantly have questions standing before the significant work of God with our insignificant gifts? Absolutely. And when I say the work of God, I'm talking about uh, leading your families, uh, evangelizing, discipling people around you, encouraging people. Will you constantly feel like you're, you're maybe falling a little shorter? You don't quite have enough of it? Absolutely. But it's not on you to have enough. You don't always have to have the right things to say because Jesus has the right things to say. God knows the right things to do, and he's the one that utilizes and uses that power from within us. The thing he just calls us to is just come. Andrew just came. With the little boy and his little insignificant gift. And what did he do? He not only made there be enough of what he needed, but he had extra. It was spilling over. There was take-home lunches. There was to-go plates for everyone. Man, he says, nothing is wasted and nothing is too little when we bring it before God. Because the thing is, church, and and this, this is just this idea that just has been such an encouragement to me that God does his best work in the space between insignificant and unknown. That God does the best things he's gonna do in that space between the insignificant things that we have and that we can do in the unknown person that we feel like we are that someone else is. I mean, the people that God used through all throughout the Bible, they were very insignificant and unknown in most situations. What value did they hold? The only value they held is that they were on the same side as the creator of the universe, and it was because of him that they did anything significant in their lives. And church, the, the only way that we will ever do anything significant in our lives is because of the hand of God in the midst of our lives. The only way I'll ever be the father or the husband that I'm called to be is because of the hand of God in my life. Other, you know, and and we could could be pretty good or we could even be great without God in our lives in a lot of ways. But the eternal change and the legacy of leaning into someone's life, leaning into our lives, being those Christian creatures that God calls us to be, man, that never rusts. That never fades away and that never changes. And it's a confidence and a hope that we rest in that changes our lives forever and changes the lives of those that we invest in. God's ability to use a gift is in no way hindered or enhanced by the size of that gift. Church, he's just called us to come. And he's called us to be looking out for people, not just people that we feel like can benefit us because of their gift, because every gift is valuable. Every gift is valuable. Listen, church, we don't need, it doesn't take budgets and big buildings to do anything for Jesus. It doesn't take any of that to to expand the kingdom of God. We believe it is sometimes. We believe it takes the mega churches and and the big bands and the big lights and the big shows and the big all this stuff. It, It doesn't take any of that to expand the kingdom of Christ on earth. It takes two things that the Bible tells us to do. Love God and love people. That's it. Now, that can be complicated. That's the whole law summed up in two phrases. But... He calls us to this genuine, authentic love for God and for people. And if we can just pursue those things, all the other things really are are insignificant in in the end. The most important things that will stand forever is how we love God and how we love individuals. And the last thing this morning is that Andrew saw the value of inconspicuous service. He saw the value of inconspicuous service. Andrew didn't work for the glory and accolades. He did what he did in the quiet spaces of of humility and intentionality. 
You know, we never see him standing on a mountaintop preaching. We never see him standing in front of thousands preaching. He invested in individuals. He focused on one. That's what this whole series has been about. You know, we get so overwhelmed by looking at the masses. It's just look at the persons, the people right near us that need Jesus. You know, he did the will of God from a place not of religious expertise or moral perfection, but from a place of awe and confidence in Christ. He was just excited about Jesus. Do you know how dangerous to the enemy one person excited about Jesus is? You know, I, we were talking about this the other day where, you know, there's some team sports where like one individual can't carry the whole team. Like football is one of those team sports. Like you could be the greatest running back quarterback in the entire league, but if your receivers can't catch, you're no good. If you don't have blockers, then it's no good for you, right? But basketball is different. You could have one three-point shooter, get him the ball every time, make every bucket. I mean, he could carry the whole team. Baseball's kind of the same way. You got a guy throwing 106, he can strike everybody out. You may be okay. Christianity, one Christian can drastically change the world can change the world around them. Can because it's, and it's not about the masses, but it's about the moments. It's about what we do with individuals, how we invest, how we pour into individuals, how we focus on them. And one person just being excited about Jesus, church, draws people to you in itself. You know, and, and, and for me, I struggle with this just because I can tend to be a pessimist sometimes. But like most of us, especially as Christians, we walk around so dreary sometimes and so just defeated why would anybody want anything about what we have? Man, and it's not to, to pretend or to fake it like we're doing okay or that everything's perfect. Absolutely not. But man, if we would live with a little excitement for the Lord, if we would come into this place and worship with everything we have, just expressing that in whatever way just it fits us, that we would just be confident in that, man, that is dangerous to the work of the enemy. Andrew wasn't motivated by his self-image, large numbers of attendees, or personal accomplishments in ministry. He was motivated by the majesty of the Messiah, and he wanted others to experience that and know that for themselves. Paul says this in Ephesians 6, 6. He says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. This bond servant being that I owe Christ. I don't feel obligated, but I want to pay him back for what he's done for me. And I'm not doing it for the accolades and the people to tell me, oh, you've just done such a great job in the way you've lived your life and the things you did for those people. No, that I'm doing it for Jesus, for his will, because of his will, not for eye service, but because that's the least I can do is invite others into the fold and into the table of God's kingdom because of what he's done for me. Just like Paul would say the, of the least worthy, the least deserving from this this process, this place of humility. And Andrew was that kind of leader. He had, a, he had a servant's heart. He didn't have to stand in the foreground as long as the kingdom work of God was being accomplished. You know, but we live in such a, a celebrity pastor world that, that we feel like, well, I have to be perfect. I have to have it all together. It has to be all about one person. And, you know, in our mission from the very beginning in, second, in 1 Corinthians, it tells, you know, when Paul's talking about it, he said, I came knowing nothing but Christ and him crucified. Like, I'm just pointing you back to Jesus because I'm faulty. I'm broken. I'm messed up. I'm not going to be what you need. That's why when those Greek men came to Philip and then Philip brought him to Andrew, Andrew said, uh -uh, I'm bringing you to Jesus. You're not going to depend on me because I may fail you. 
It's Jesus that we need to be pointing people to. It's him. And it's not about just being, it's not about the accolades. It's not about people being uh, excited for me or for the worship team. It doesn't matter how great you sing or preach or talk or whatever. It's about Jesus. It's simply about pointing people, bringing people before the throne of Christ. Andrew never preached to multitudes or pastor to church. And not, it was not about glory and honor or accomplishments for himself. It was about getting individuals into the presence of Jesus. Into the presence of Jesus. And where two more are gathered, there he is. Getting people into the presence of Jesus. Because he is who changes hearts. He is who changes things. Not me. I can give you some advice and I can, I can point you to God's word and maybe share a little bit from my experience, but ultimately Jesus is the changer. I'm just the bringer. I'm just the inviter. That's all he's called us to do. Bring, invite, invest. And so how does Andrew's life end up? Play in the background role. You know, he was one of the first, we could kind of say it, the first missionary because he reached out to these Greeks, these Gentiles, before really reaching out to Gentiles was a popular thing, before that was really the mission of the church. But he reached out to these, these Greek believers. And so theologians believe that he brought the gospel to Russia, that he brought the gospel to uh, Scotland, that he ended up in Greece near Athens, that he was preaching the gospel to individuals there. And we know that specifically because one story says that he shared the gospel with a woman in Greece, this woman came to saving faith in Jesus. This woman was the wife of a Roman governor. And that Roman governor, who was a Gentile, a pagan, was not happy about this situation. And so when he tried to call his wife to refute her faith, the, the faith that, that Andrew had laid before her had grown within her so strong that she denied her husband. And she said no. And so then he did. What any hard-headed, stubborn, dumb husband would do is he started taking it out on other people. And so he had Andrew crucified. So Andrew was crucified for doing Jesus' work. But what's crazy about it is that Andrew said, he said, okay, you can crucify me, but don't crucify me like Jesus because I'm not worthy for that. So what did they do? They crucified Andrew on a cross shaped like an X. And then they didn't nail him to the cross because they wanted him to live longer and suffer more. So they strapped him to the cross. And it says, they say that Andrew lived for two days. He lived for two days after the beating and the scourging and all those things. He lived for two days, no food, no water. And you know what it says that they said that he did during those two days? Every single person that passed he was evangelizing to them. He was inviting them to the saving faith of Jesus. While he's hanging on the cross, dying for his sins, some of us, we can't, we can't muster up the courage to have a conversation about Jesus because our head hurts because we haven't had coffee yet. Can you imagine hanging on a cross, dying, literally dying, and people are walking by, and he's inviting them to that, and people are probably thinking in their heads, I don't know if I want any of that. I don't know if that's where I want to be. But Andrew knew, as Paul would say in Philippians, for me to live is to live for Christ, but to die is so much more than what this world gives me. This, this world is nothing compared to what Jesus has for me. And so he, that's how he can stay, hang on a cross, dying, and say, hey, Jesus has a place for you. 
Maybe it's on a cross next to me. Maybe it's in a grave later on in your life. But Jesus has a place for you. And it's not to live and rot and die in this world, but it's to live for eternity at his table, at his party, at his banquet, waiting with him, worshiping with him. That's what carries us through the hard things. That's what carries us through the difficulties of evangelizing, sharing our faith with people, is knowing that if I'm living, I'm living for Jesus. And if I die or if I suffer for my faith, it's for gain. People long before us have suffered much worse than any of us in here ever will for our faith. You know, my wife is the most important person in my life. And I can't imagine not making sure people know who she is in my life. You know, I, I, that every person I interact with when she's around, and even when she's not, telling them about her. Because she's valuable to, she's valuable to me. She makes me better. You know, maybe you have a friend, like a best friend, that person that you just depend on. I would bet that every person you either interact with or know personally, they know that friend. They know that person because you've either talked about them or they've been with you, Right? And because they, they, they're important, they've influenced who you've been. Man, if Jesus is that valuable to us, that he's been that much of an influence and an encouragement and, and just changed us that much, other people need to know about him. Other people need to know. Statistics say that 98% of people have never invited an unchurched person to meet Jesus. 98% of Christians have not invited someone to the loving, merciful, graceful arms of Jesus. Let's not be those people. Maybe it's your one. Maybe it's your one that you're thinking of right now. You know, uh, and, and as we finish up this morning, uh, I, I want to challenge you, and this has kind of been the challenge throughout the thing, but as we spend this year and you invest in your one, you share the gospel with them, you, invest, you, you love on them, I want to encourage you to do these three things that we've talked about previously. Invest, invite, invest, and introduce. Invite, invest, and introduce. Invite them to your home. Invite them to your church. Invite them into your life. Invite them to be around you. Let them know who you are. Let them know what you're about. Let them know that there's no motive behind it other than that you just care for them. The second thing being invest. Invest in, in sharing Jesus with them. Share your testimony with them. Share encouragement with them. And the last thing being introduced, the best thing that we can do is introduce the people in our lives to other people who can encourage and invest and invite them in their lives. Don't feel like you have to bear this on your own. Get other people of God, other, other Christians involved in your one. Like I said, maybe that's somebody outside of your family. Maybe that's somebody directly in your family, your kids, your spouse. You know what? Or maybe, maybe it's you this morning. Maybe you're that one that just haven't, hasn't let go of control, haven't stopped trying to be good enough, earn it, do enough good. Man, the Bible tells us our righteousness is like filthy rags. You'll never be good enough. The thing that we can know, because we see this reflective in Andrew, we can also know this is reflective in our Savior Jesus, that he sees value in every single one of us. He sees value in every person. He sees value in our insignificant gifts. And he wants to do something in our life. 
Jesus saw fit to die a death that we deserved for our good, calling us to himself, using our measly gifts to continue the work and passing it on because he's asked us to continue sharing this hope with the others in need around us. So as we wrap up this series this weekend and we get ready to move into where we're going next, you know, I just really want to encourage you, man, be praying for your one. Invite, invest, and introduce. Man, find time, invite them to lunch, and invite them to your home, invite them to the movies, invest in them, speak life into their, their situations, the encouragement. Man, more than likely you here, or there's people that you're praying about and thinking about, man, they're dealing with some stuff. This is, this is not an easy world to live in. You know, between the stresses and anxieties and, and the, the hopelessness and the hurts, man, there's so much going on in, in our lives and individuals' lives around us. Man, that, that we desperately need Jesus more than ever. We need Jesus more than anything. And the people in your life do too. So I'm gonna encourage you to share that with them. Invest in them. Don't be afraid. Don't, man, just like Andrew, right after coming in contact with Jesus, he goes and brings somebody else to Jesus. Andrew didn't know all the answers. He didn't really know who Jesus was. He just knew he was special and that he had something amazing that he could do for him and for other people. And so he just went and got him. Don't feel like you have to have all the answers and have it all together. We've said this the whole series. You don't have to be able. You just have to be available. Just be available to invest and love on somebody. Church, let's bow our heads and pray this morning. Father God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for your word that speaks life into our situations. God, I, I pray for my one. God, I pray that everyone here right now is praying for their one, that they would be seeking an opportunity to invite them to church, invite them to their home, invite them to, to, to spend time together so that they can invest, that they can speak life to them, that they can speak encouragement to them, that they can share Jesus and the hope of Christ and what Christ has done for them individually and what Christ can do for them. God, and that they would be seeking to introduce them to other God-fearing, God-loving people in their life. To just be another level of individuals just pouring in and praying for this person. God, that we would be focused on individuals. That we would invest in individuals. That we would not get caught up uh, ministering to the masses, but pouring into individuals in our lives. God, the most important thing is that we're pointing them to Jesus. Not pointing them to ourselves our establishments, our organizations, pointing to them, pointing them to Jesus. Father, I pray maybe for that one here this morning who has not put their faith in you, God, you tell us that if we would believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that we could be saved, that we could have a seat at your table. God, I, I pray for that one here this morning that would do that. Letting go and following you. Father God, we love you. God, I, I just thank you again. I thank you for your blessings. Thank you for this time. I thank you for this encouragement. I just ask you to continue to work in us, move us, motivate us, encourage us to continue to do your work. Father God, we love you. 